Good morning again. We are going to pick back up our series in Ephesians. We were in Ephesians uh, before Christmas and uh, then took a break to look at some different scriptures over the kind of Christmas season. But now we're going to kick back off the, the Ephesians series. We've called it a new identity. So if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible but you'd like to follow along, we have some under the chairs and we'll be on page 977. If you want to turn to page 977, Ephesians chapter 4. We're calling this series a new identity. We have new art for the new identity series for the new year. Um, and you can see kind of the, the concept we have with the art there is that more and more uh, our identity would be replaced with the cross, would be replaced with Christ. That We would see ourselves as sons of God because of what he's done for us through the cross. We wouldn't just see ourselves in light of whatever successes or whatever defeats we have from day to day. If if we base our identity in our circumstances, we're going to be up and down, really, depending on the, the way the wind blows. But if we base our identity in what God has done for us and what God says about us, and we have a, a secure foundation, then, then we're His, and we can make it through those good times and those bad times. So we've seen that again and again in the book of Ephesians. We're going to see that again this morning in Ephesians 4. We're really going to zero in this morning on verses 14, 15, and 16. Uh, But what I want to do is I want to start reading in verse 1, because it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians. So we're going to go back and kind of reread some of the sections uh, that we looked at a couple of months ago now. Uh, Stephen Watson, our assistant pastor, and Kyle Black, our church planting intern, preached on these other two sections. But we're going to read through those to just kind of put ourselves back in the context of Ephesians. So if you'll start with me, I'll read from Ephesians 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so Stephen, our assistant pastor, preached on that. Again, a couple of months ago, talked about what does it mean to walk in this manner that God has called us to. It says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Stephen talked about what that looks like. We, we, he called that missional unity, right? We are united in the mission of a God who in mission came after us to save us. So now we as a people are united in mission with him uh, to share his love with other people, uh, to grow in his image. And so we have this unity now. And he continues with this unity theme in verse four. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So unity is a big theme there. Paul is hitting. We are all united. And if you remember earlier in Ephesians, we talked about how, how easy it is to base our identity, again, on like where we grow up or our tribe. You know, there's a big issue at the time of the Greeks and the Jews feeling separated from each other. And we can kind of take that conflict and put it in today's world and say, in today's world, we have the kind of uh, real conservative religious people, and then we have the more uh, rebellious non-religious people and, and the separation and this cultural divide. And Paul says those kinds of people, no matter where you grow up, can be united in Christ. Because no matter how religious you are, that doesn't justify you before God. Only Jesus does. And no matter how rebellious you are, that's not going to help you find a real home for your heart, just pursuing pleasure in your own heart, and your own feelings. Only Jesus will give you a rest for your soul. 
So Paul says, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you come from, we're united in Christ, what God has done for us. That's where we get our identity. That's our true tribe, no matter what shape or color or neighborhood or background we have. We're united in Christ. That's, that's our unity. He goes on and says, but there's differences too, right? How do we explain the differences? We are different colors. We are different sizes. We are different shapes. We come from different places. How do we explain these differences? And in verse 7 it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Jesus gave us different gifts. We're, we're just different, and that's part of his plan. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And Kyle preached on this a few weeks back and talked about how this was a uh, messianic uh, kingship prophecy that Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament, saying that Jesus is that true king. He's the conquering king that then disperses gifts as he pleases. Not always how we'd want him to, right? But he gives the gifts as he pleases for his glory. And he goes on and says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he gives these leaders to to build up the body, to help us to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. So the leaders aren't the only ones that do ministry. The leaders are equipping the saints to do ministry. So all of us in all our different gifts are doing ministry. Ministry just is literally service. We're serving one another. And as we serve one another, it builds up the body of Christ. He goes on to say, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And finally, verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so Paul gives this incredible vision of what the church is supposed to be. He uses a lot of metaphors, really mixing building metaphor plant metaphor, uh, body, human body growing up into full manhood metaphor. He's mixing all these together with the goal of growing up into Christ. We would we'd look like Jesus, and that's what maturity looks like. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll, we'll look more into details here. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace to us, and we pray that you would build us up. We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us from your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to grow in you according to your gospel. We thank you that you love us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, the negative, the problem uh, in this passage is uh, in verse 14, 14 or 15, it talks about being tossed to and fro, every wind of doctrine. Uh, and when I was a kid, uh, we actually had a sailboat. So before my parents split up, we had this big, nice, sailboat. One of the you know downsides of a divorce is everything kind of gets broken up and dispersed, right? But we had this boat when I was four or five. We used to sail on the lake, and it was kind of like an RV on the inside. 
And uh, it had this little passage through the middle, kind of, I guess, a little walkway. So there was seating on one side and maybe a little seating area on the other. You know, it had a little, like, little tiny mini kitchen like you'd see in a VW camper or something. You know, it had all that kind of stuff on the inside. And, and when we were being tossed to and fro by the wind, I, as a four-year-old, had this weird idea that I could actually steady the boat. I, I actually thought that if I stood in that middle part and just held on to the sides as, as strong as my little four-year-old hands could hold on, I could steady the boat. And I really believed that. Like, I thought, I can just, I can make it still. And that was my, that was my immature four-year-old thinking, right? That, that I was strong enough to keep it steady. I didn't understand about the wind blowing on the sail. I didn't understand about the ballast underneath and the water and the rudder and all these different parts. I didn't understand how that worked. I didn't understand all the factors that were at play. And I thought somehow if I was just strong enough, I could, I could make it stable. And what, what Paul is telling us here is that sometimes we're like that little four-year-old. So, sometimes the ship of our life is being blown about and we think that we can stabilize it. We stick out our, our little fat four-year-old arms and we say, I'm just going to fix my life, right? I can right this ship. I can make it go steady. And Paul is saying, no, no Christ does that. He's the one that will steady the ship. Our faith has to be in Him and what He's accomplished for us, not, not in our own abilities. We're like this little child tossed about. And so I want us to kind of unpack what we see here in, in verses, really focusing first on verses 12 and 13 as we see this idea this morning of what it means to grow up. So if we're going to have a new identity in Christ, if we're going to be adopted as his child, as we saw in the first chapter of Ephesians, then we need to grow up, right? We need to, we need to be like him. And so what does it mean to grow up? And I think we need to start with a, a model. What is our model for growing up? Let's look at verse, uh, we'll, we'll go back to 11 again. In verse 11, it says he gave these leaders, right? He says apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, it's also the word pastor, and teacher. And so these church leaders, these different kinds of leaders, our job, my job, other church leaders' jobs are to then, it says, equip the saints for the work of ministry. So my job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the ministry, right? Because we're one body. So this is that, what he's talked about already, this whole chapter, this, there's this unity we have in Christ, and then a diversity, we have different roles that we play and different gifts. And so a leader's gift is really to empower you to, to serve in the way that God's called you to serve for the building up of the body. That's part of how maturity takes place. And it goes on then in verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So again, mixing these metaphors, he's, he's talking about this idea of maturity, Right of, of growing up, and the model of maturity that we're to, to grow up into is Jesus. That's the model. Like that's, that's the mark that we should be shooting for. We should look like Jesus. And just to back up, this is really the same thing that we see in the Old Testament. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, right? what does it say that Adam and Eve are created in, in whose image? God's image, right? And so Adam and Eve's job is to image God, is to reflect God. We're to look like God in the world. That, that's our job. And so my question for you this morning is, what, what's the model that, 
that you've been thinking? What's the model you've been looking for in your life? What's the model you've been shooting for, right? I mean, maybe you have like a picture of the long-haired blonde Jesus on your wall or you know, maybe some other velvet picture, velvet painting, right? I mean, what's the picture that you're shooting for? I don't think it's necessarily a sin to have a picture of Jesus. The Puritans would have said that's just a big no-no for sure. I'm not so sure about that. That's a debatable issue. But I don't think he was blonde. Sorry, guys. I don't think he was blonde for sure. Um, and I just think it sometimes can distract us from looking like Jesus when we focus on the physical image. Um, when, when I was a kid, there was a physical image that, that I uh, looked at a lot that I kind of saw as a model, and that was Superman. And this was a, a model. I, was, I loved comic books. I loved Superman when I was a kid. I actually drew a lot. I haven't drawn really much in years, but I used to draw all the time. Um, and and that was really, that's really who I wanted to be, right? Somewhere along the lines, um, my body started changing. You know, when I was that little fat four-year-old, I looked kind of like that. But somewhere along the line, my chin just disappeared, right? And I started to realize I'm never going to look like that. I'm never going to have a superhero face. And, and that big jaw, or the big, we didn't even show the rest of him, right? You know, I'm never going to look like that. that that's, that's the wrong model for me. And I wonder if you guys have a model. It's kind of a silly example, really. It's kind of a goofy example. But I wonder if you have a model that you're shooting for that you haven't really thought about, right? That maybe you can never measure up to, or maybe you are. I mean, maybe you're measuring up to your model, but it's just the wrong model. Paul says the model should be Christ. The model should be Christ-likeness. That's what maturity looks like. That's the, that's the building that we're growing into. He uses building metaphors. The building, the complete building is supposed to be Jesus. The, the flower that we're supposed to bloom into, the head, is Jesus. The, the man that we're trying to grow into, it's, it's Jesus. And it's not, it's not an image. It's not a physical image we're looking at, Right? I mean, it's who was he? What did he act like? What is his character? Are we reflecting his character in the world? And that's really the issue. Christ-likeness. Are we imaging God? Are we imaging Christ in our character? And so in the New Testament, we see these, these spiritual ideas of, of compassion and love and how he helped people and healed people and listened to people. And we did what was right and he fulfilled God's law. In the Old Testament, we see kind of the broader cultural picture of humanity made to build things and create things, right? So if, if you're a builder, when you build something, you're, you're imaging God. And when you love someone, you're imaging God. And so there are ways physically that we image God. He made us to create culture and build things and make the world a better place. I mean, that's part of what God made us for. So we have these gifts and these interests, these creative things that we do. We are to do those things in submission to God, that we would honor him with our skills and our talents. So if if you make shoes, you should make good shoes for the glory of God because he's a creative God that makes things. And if you're an educator, you should educate people with compassion and love. And that images God. We should also love people well and listen to people and these things that we think of as more spiritual things, right? That we should be uh, compassionate and kind and gracious. We want to image God. And it starts with having the right model. It starts with understanding who Jesus really is. A lot of us, I think, we don't really know who Jesus is. We just have the picture on the wall, maybe, but we haven't read the Gospels. And I'd really challenge you, this is a good time of year to think about this kind of thing. It's, it's New Year. Think about reading the Gospels. If you never read the Gospels before, read the Gospels. Or if you think you know them, read them again. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. 
half of our life we didn't go to church, but half of our life we did. And I'd heard Sunday school stories. I thought I knew who Jesus was. But when I was a young Christian, I kind of thought Jesus was a stoic, right? A stoic is someone who tries to be like tough and just tough it out in life and never be emotional, be unflappable. And I got really good at being that way, being non-emotional. But, but as I read the gospel, I realized that Jesus is really emotional. I was a little off. I kind of missed the mark. That's not really what it means to be like Jesus is to never have any emotions. And so I've had to relearn. I've had to rethink that. I think sometimes, too, we hear things like turn the other cheek and we get this idea of love and not judging. And so we start to think that being like Jesus is being passive. Jesus took a lot of initiative. So, so we've got to relearn what he's like. We've got to relearn what he's like. Some of you, you're a workaholic. You think of Jesus as this model of he's always going here and going there and healing and helping and healing and helping, and you have kind of a savior complex. And maybe you've missed that Jesus rested. Remember like when the disciples were freaking out when the storm was happening in the boat and he was just asleep because he was tired. He sat down by a well and talked to the woman because he was tired. I mean, it's it's good to really read the Gospels and, and understand who he really was and get a fuller picture of what he's like, because that's the goal. That's the model that we're shooting for. And we're not going to grow up into that model if we have no idea what the model is. So that would be my challenge for us for the new year, that we would actually know who he is. Not just the velvet painting of Jesus, but the real Jesus in the Gospels. The next thing I want us to think about are what are the obstacles to growing up? What are the obstacles that keep us from growing up? People always talk about things that keep kids from growing. Have you all ever heard, like, what are some of those things that people say are going to stunt your growth? Have you ever? Smoking, smoking. That was the first thing they said earlier, too. We've, um, smoking, all right, so don't let your kids smoke. All right, what else? Coffee, all right, no coffee. Man, y'all are a strict crowd, all right, okay. What else? Coffee, smoking, anything else? That's pretty much it. They'll be fine. Just feed them sugar, candy. No, I mean, sometimes nutrition matters too, right? Um, one of the things my mom used to say when I was a kid, uh, one year I grew like six inches, right? And uh, I grew six inches in one year, and she would say, I'm going to put a brick on your head. You ever heard that? Well, she didn't mean like I'm going to throw a brick at you. I mean, she just meant it was like this idea of I'm going to slow down the growth, or I'm going to weigh you down so you can't grow so much. Um, it, didn't, it didn't work. I still grew anyway. So we have these different ideas of things that are obstacles to our growth. I've heard sometimes that letting little children do weightlifting can be an obstacle to their growth. Yeah, I have a picture here of a kid. I think this, this baby is a good example that weightlifting obviously is harmless to children because this baby seems very happy. He seems to be growing quite well. So that's a debatable issue. You know, science is, we're always learning new things. What's going to help your child to grow? What's not going to help your child to grow? Here, Paul says what's going to keep us from growing are lies. Untruth is going to keep us from growing. That's going to be the brick on our head. That's going to be the thing that's going to stop us from growing. He describes in verse 14, using this, this uh, wind and wave imagery here, verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he says the leader's jobs are to teach right doctrine, to equip the saints, to encourage one another, to grow up in Christ-likeness so that we're not just blown around by every fad, by every wind of doctrine. So we're not still children, 
with our growth being stunted with this doctrine. Doctrine is just a word for teaching. This teaching, that teaching, this teaching, that teaching. He goes on to say, specifically, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. There, there are all kinds of lies that we listen to. This started, again, big picture. Bible has started in Genesis. Genesis 3, the first lie was God's not really concerned with your best interest. He, he doesn't really have your best interest in mind. And so the serpent tricks Adam and Eve in, into going their own way, making their own way, not trusting God to care for them, but thinking they need to care for themselves and they need to be their own gods. And I would say really every, every lie since then, it's some kind of variety of that. We're all living out those same lies. There's different cultural lies that we're uh, apt to believe, kind of depending on the tribe, the neighborhood, the parenting, the, the business that you, that you work in, that you live in, right? We have different lies that we go for. We may go for the lie of, you know, if I've got financial success, everything's going to be okay. Well, financial success is a fruit of uh, walking faithfully with God. Oftentimes in Proverbs it says, you know, when you work hard and do things right, things will generally go well with you. That is if you're in a system that's law-abiding and everything works, right? There's all kinds of variables there if you read the rest of the wisdom literature. So that is a kind of fruit of doing things right, but it's not, it's not the thing that's going to make us whole. It's not the thing that's going to help us to grow up. And when we listen to that as the way to find success, as financial success, then we're blown about and we're like children. We're, our growth is stunted. You may think having secure relationships, maybe having that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that, that spouse, whatever it may be, having that family, having children, having the perfect family that looks good in the Christmas card, you may think that's security. And again, that, that's, a, that's a blessing. That's a good thing the Scripture talks about, but that, that's not going to save you. That's not going to make things right. That's not going to help you grow up in Christ-likeness. So we need to make sure we're, we're listening to the truth and not to the lies of culture. You see, what culture does is it takes good things and it makes them ultimate things, right? Romans 1 talks about it, that it takes the created things and it makes them into the gods that we worship. So we begin worshiping the gifts of God instead of God himself. And we're no longer trusting him, but we're trusting the gifts dispersed here and there. So I'm going to I'm going to jump on this train or I'm going to jump on that train. I'm going to go for financial success or I'm going to go for a good family or I'm going to go for good relationships or good education, right? Whatever this thing is, we're going to say, that's how I'm going to help myself. That's how I'm going to fix myself instead of entrusting ourselves to God. And it starts with entrusting ourselves to him instead of listening to the lies of our culture. I don't know what the lies are that are the obstacles for you, but I'm sure that you have an idea. We talked about this a while back. One of the, one of the ways that you can kind of begin to discern what those lies are is you can, you can figure out, you can boil down, what are the areas where I'm regularly breaking a commandment, right? Where are the things where I'm, where I'm going over the line, where I'm losing it? And that's a good indicator. That's a pointer. And take a step back and say, what was the trigger there? What was the, the heart sin underneath that sin that made me think I needed to to grab this or to go for that. I needed to take this step that I wouldn't have taken before, but I felt like I had to because I didn't think I'd have life unless I took that step. And that's a good indicator of, of where you're believing a lie instead of trusting in God. So that brings us to the last, the last concept that he gives us is the method, the way we actually grow up then is, is truth, right? The method for growing up is 
is speaking the truth in love. Verse 15, it says, rather, so in contrast, rather, instead of the being blown around by this doctrine, that doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So again, it's this unity, diversity idea, the whole body working together, right? So the leaders of the church should be proclaiming truth, but the whole body should be feeding truth to each other. And the way this is stated, the way this phrase is stated, so 16 says the whole body working together, and it's stated in 15 as speaking the truth in love. might be translated differently in different uh, translations you have. It's literally a, a participle, so it, it would really literally be truthing in love. So the whole body working together, we would be truthing each other in love. That's what we're called to. That's the, the method. That's how we're going to grow up. When I was a kid, I had a lot of different ideas of ways I could grow better, grow stronger. I don't know if you all ever remember this. Uh, where is it? There it is. Tang. Anybody drink Tang when they were a kid? Yeah? It's still around. I did a little internet research. Apparently, they're making big headway in third world countries with Tang. I drank a lot of Tang when I was a kid. And uh, it went on the uh, Gemini spacecraft, I think. It was, it was actually astronauts drank Tang as well. So I was convinced, you know, if I was going to become a superhero, I should drink Tang. It's mostly sugar with a little vitamin C thrown in, right? We've learned a little more about nutrition. I don't want to condemn Tang, but maybe eating fruits and vegetables might be better than just drinking Tang. But the Scriptures tell us that the Scripture, that the truth, the truth embedded in the Word and the truth that is the Spirit, the truth that is Jesus Himself, that's really the method for growing us, is His truth. His truth. When we pause in confession and we say, we know we've failed, but we know that You love us and You gave Yourself for us, that truth helps us grow. We, just, we grow another inch when we pause and we do that. We grow in Him. We grow in the truth of who God is and what He says about us. And this picture that it gives us again of the unity and the diversity of the church is that the leaders proclaim the truth, but the, the body is truthing each other in love. So the way we think about it sometimes as a church is, is like two wings of an airplane that we have to have the formal, the gathered proclamation of truth but we have to have the scattered relationships of the church that are strong as well. So that the church is, the church are, you say this, people in relationships with each other throughout the community. We talk about small groups, right? We list classes and home groups where people gather together to pray for each other, to study God's word together. And you could say the point of those are so that people can truth each other in love. They can share the truth, they can share love with one another. Sometimes we talk about those as missional communities, that we would gather in small communities together to be on mission, following Jesus together. Friends united in, in faith, helping each other grow, helping each other love the city and the neighborhood that God's called us to. There, there's other ways that this uh, can be lived out as well. Just, just Christian parenting, right? And if you just love your kids well and speak the truth to them, that's, that's what this is supposed to be. Husbands and wives encouraging each other, praying for each other. I talked about a while back. That we would encourage each other in the truth and love each other. 
Sometimes we, a phrase we use for this is an accountability relationship. Uh, we talk about just having a partner where you can hold each other accountable. That is like, hey, how are, how are you doing with this struggle? Are you growing in this area? We talked about three months ago. I prayed for you. Any change? What's going on? And encouraging each other. It's got to be truth and love together. At our church, we always emphasize, you know, the, the Scripture needs to be present. You need to pray for each other. You need to be real with each other. Right? Truthing can be thought of as speaking the truth, but truthing can also be being truthful. Right? So confess. The word confess in James 5.16, it says, confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. First John 8 and 9, it says there's the type of person that lies and says they have no sin. And then there's a the person that confesses. That person's forgiven by Jesus. Confess, literally, the, the Latin root, confess, is speak the same as. The Greek word is homo legeo. It's same speech. It's just say the same thing as God. It's, it's agree with God. Stop lying. Stop making stuff up. Stop wearing masks and pretending that everything's okay. But find someone that you can really be real with. I mean, it's great to be real with everybody, but usually we need to just find a couple of trusted friends that we can really be real with. And we want to really encourage you to do that in this new year. You'd have somebody that you can just say, hey man, I, I need you to pray for me. I mean, if they're a woman, don't say, hey man. But if just someone that you can be real with, right, and, and pray. And generally I'd say men, you need a man to do this with, and women, you need a woman to do this with. Again, of course, spouses with each other, but, but we need a friend like that that we can encourage in our faith. James 5.16 says it this way, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. So, hey, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with X, okay? Or in Colossians 3, it says it this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, right, you're overflowing with the word of Christ, with this hope that we have in the gospel. And then it says, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so that's often corporate worship, right? But it may just be encouraging each other too. We're just encouraging other, each other with the truth. So we really want to encourage you to do that in the new year. You may not pull out that brochure and join one of those official listed small groups, but you have got to grab another person and live the Christian life with them. We call that discipleship, right? We, we grow as disciples. You've got to have someone in your life that you're being real with, that you're sharing the truth with, that you're encouraging. 